Well, good morning. It's uh, great to see you all here. Um, it's good to have folk in the overflow, and uh, welcome if you're joining us on the live stream. We're very uh, pleased to welcome you, Rupert, uh, to preach to us later, and we're looking forward to that. Um, but I wonder um, for us, as we come together this morning, whether you've ever thought about how many other people in the world are doing what we're doing today. And I was wondering about it and uh, did a bit of uh, research and couldn't get an accurate number. But they reckon that this Sunday, around the same number of people as all the inhabitants of Europe will be worshipping Jesus today. Which is an incredible thing to think about from that one baby in Bethlehem. And of course, that excludes all the people in glory worshipping Jesus now. So as we come to God, we've got big numbers to think about. But we also know that he knows each of us as individuals. And our first song gives us something that we can really hang on to as individuals as we worship this great God. It's we rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe because we're strong in our God's strength. So let's stand and worship.
a little bit, um, I'm going to be praying, and then after that, Martin's got to talk, talk for the children. And there's a couple of things that we will be praying about that you might not all be aware of. Um, the first is that Liz Abbott got rushed into hospital on Saturday. Um, thankfully, um, she's stable in hospital, she's comfortable in hospital, and she's waiting for the tests to come back. But we'll be praying for her and for the family. And also, um, Caitlin has, um, uh, is not very well at the moment, and uh, is, they're concerned about her, so we'll be praying, praying for her. So let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we thank you that as we come to you this morning, we come to you as our perfect Father. And Lord, you know how each of us comes to you. You know what we've had to face this week. You know what our cares and concerns are. And yet you're not just like our earthly fathers who are loving but unable to do everything. You can do everything. And you are glorious and wonderful. And Lord, you you are beyond words describing. And yet, we can come to you because you loved us so much that you sent your dear son to pay the price for sin for everyone who trusts you. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your amazing love. And Lord, we thank you that that love is powerful and effective and that you are building a kingdom in the hearts of each of your children. Oh Lord, we thank you that many of us heard about that love at Gemma and Morgan's wedding. And Lord, we pray that you will take the words that were spoken there and that you will be making them resonate in our hearts, especially for the folk who don't know much about you, for the folk who don't know you as their father and friend. Oh Lord, we pray that what they heard will be a seed that grows and changes and makes life real life in their hearts a reality. Oh Lord, we thank you for the many answered prayers for yesterday. And we thank you for Gemma and Morgan. And we ask, Lord, that you will help them to live for you. Oh Lord, we pray for all of us who are married. We ask, Lord, that we will know your help that you will protect us from the enemy's attack. And Lord, we pray that our families will give glory to you because of the way we live. And Lord, we don't just pray that for those who are married. Oh Lord, we pray that for all of us, whether we're single, whether we're young, whether we're old. Oh Lord, you know us and we do thank you that you have good work prepared for every one of us to do, whatever our circumstances are. And Lord, we, we thank you that the good news of Jesus has been told to others again in Sunday school. 
We thank you that First Steps is able to meet and that people are able to hear about you and to have good contact with us. And Lord, we pray that you will be using what's been done. And we pray for Rupert as he comes to bring your word to us later. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will take your word and that the promises that you've made in your word will be true, that it won't be seed that returns to you empty, but that you will accomplish what you have planned for your word. And Lord, as plans are going ahead for the summer, Lord, we pray that you will help those who are thinking, that you will give them a sense of what your good and perfect plan is for the weeks of camp and the YP holiday. And that once more that they will be marked out by your good and great work. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the whole world. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to work in Papua New Guinea, that you will help Rosie in her work of encouraging the churches out there. And Lord, we thank you for good news from Romania, of baptisms of an older man. And Lord, we are reminded that your word is not limited. And Lord, we pray that we will be able to rejoice with the angels in heaven over many more people coming to know you. Oh Lord, we do thank you for the good things you give us as a country. But there are things that make us sad. Oh Lord, we are ashamed that we destroy so many babies who've not yet been born. And that we reject the weak because they inconvenience us. Oh Lord, we do thank you that Heidi Crowther is campaigning and standing up for children with disability. And Lord, we pray that you will help her to do that in a way which shines the light of Jesus into the world in the publicity that her case Will bring. Lord, we pray that people will ask questions and want to know why it is in a world where we have so much, we do not care for the vulnerable. Oh Lord, I, I do pray that you will touch our, our national consciousness and cause us to ask questions. Oh Lord, we've, or oh, we should have been shocked by our powerlessness in the in the light of covid oh lord I, I pray that you won't leave our nation just to be hard and heartless but that we will realize just how weak and powerless we are oh lord we know that in our hearts there's much that's wrong And Lord, we pray that you will help us not to pretend that that guilt is some imaginary problem that doesn't need worrying about, that there's an impact of something to do with the way we were brought up. Oh Lord, we know that 
you've given us a conscience. And Lord, we pray that our consciences will be lively and awake to what you are saying. Oh Lord, we thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. No matter how bad those sins are, no matter how long we've been sinning. Oh Lord, I do pray that there will be awakening, a a, a realisation that we react with the God who made us. And that we will turn to you. Oh Lord, we, we thank you that you're such a glorious God. We thank you that you're so worthy of being praised. And Lord, we do ask that you will be with us as we continue to worship you now. Amen. Good morning, children, whether you're, you're here in the chapel or whether you're watching on a screen somewhere. Now, how many of you children would like to be happy? Put your hand up if you would like to be happy. Yeah? I hope every child has got their hand up. Now, my question then is, is what makes you happy? What makes you happy? And I've asked a few children what would make them happy. And perhaps as I read them out... You can put your hand up if you think it would make you happy. Right, so, uh, these people, they have said this will make them happy. Um, Family. Being with family makes them happy. Yeah? Not Annie, obviously. Another one. Football. Apparently football makes some people happy. Some of the lads' hands goes up. Yeah, brilliant. What about having fun? Having fun makes happy. Yeah, great. And um, food. Apparently food makes you happy. Well, I think yesterday we had a combination of several of those, didn't we? Being with family, okay, having food, and watching some football. The Bible uses other words for happy. It uses words like joy, to rejoice, rejoicing, gladness, delight. And we're going to see some of those words in a minute. Because in Luke... Okay, Jesus tells us about a time where he sends out 72 of his disciples. So 72 of his followers, he sends out to tell other people about himself. And he gives them some special powers. And when they come back, they come back to Jesus. And they come back full of joy. They're very happy. Because they want to tell Jesus about these special powers. And what happened? And do you know what Jesus said? He said, don't be happy about that. He said, I want you to be happy, to rejoice, that your names are written in heaven. Don't be happy that you've got special powers. I want you to be happy that your names are written in heaven. So in heaven, there's a book of names. And these names aren't like your class register where you perhaps have to stick your hand up if your name is called out, which is really just keeping numbers for the school, knowing who's there and who's not there. Oh no, with this 
book of names in heaven, if your name is in this book, you will be there. You will be in heaven. You will have eternal life. You will have happiness. So this is what should make you really, really happy. Now when Jane and I got married over 20 years ago, someone turned up for the food that wasn't invited. They weren't on the list. And someone had the awkward job of going to tell them that there was no food for them. So you should be thinking in your head, children, I wonder if my name is on that list because I want to be happy. How do I get my name onto that list in heaven so I can be happy? Well, the names in heaven are all the people that have asked Jesus to forgive them for their sin. They have trusted him that his death on the cross has brought them peace with God the Father. And he is no longer angry with their sin anymore. That's what should make you very happy. Now my question is to you children, have you done that? Have you asked Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin? Do you have peace with the Father in heaven? Because that will bring you great happiness. You might be sitting there thinking, I'm too little. I'm too young. You have to be older for this. You have to be clever. Okay? Not little children. Well, in the very next verse, in the same hour, it says, at the same time, Jesus prayed. And he thanked God. He was happy. He was rejoicing. Do you know why? Because God didn't necessarily show the clever people. He didn't necessarily show the wise people. Okay? But he did show some people if they asked him. And there's a, something, some words I've highlighted in yellow. And Jesus is happy that God the Father is showing little children how they can be saved, how they can be forgiven, how they can be happy for the rest of their life. So when you go to Sunday school, when you sit here in, in, in chapel and you listen to God's word being taught, when you read your Bible at home, God is teaching you about how you can be forgiven and he wants you to come to him and ask for forgiveness. So that first question I came up with, what makes you happy? And we talked about football. Well, I wonder if we're going to be as happy on Wednesday. Okay? We're not always happy with football. What about food? I wonder how many times you moan with what your mum and dad puts on the table in front of you. You're not always happy with food. Family. Families bring us great happiness, but at some point, we die. The family doesn't last forever. But if your name is on that list in heaven, you will have happiness forever and ever, and you'll know peace forever and ever. So many of us here, our names are on that list. Many of us here are praying that you as children will come to know Jesus as your saviour and you'll have that happiness forever. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Martin. Uh, We're going to turn to God's word now and I'm going to read from Psalm 28. 
And uh, after that, we're going to sing, and then Rupert's going to come and explain it to us. So, the word of God in Psalm 28, and we're going to start at the first verse. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbours while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the, or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts. And with my song, I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Well, in our next song, we will be worshipping God in perhaps the most famous of the Psalms. Um, Let's uh, stand and join in as uh, we think about uh, the Lord, our shepherd, who provides all we need. Then after that, Rupert will be preaching to us.
Well, do uh, turn with me to Psalm 28, and can I say it's a great pleasure to be in Forest Fold again, and uh, very delighted to be here with my wife Margie as well, and uh, to join with you uh, this morning. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. O Lord, my rock. 26 times in the Old Testament, that word, that title, rock, is used as a name and description of God. And it's a very fitting description. A great rock stands firm. It's not swayed by the wind. It's uh, not rocked by the waves. Uh, In searing heat, uh, a great rock casts a shade in which we can take shelter. A rock is a firm place to stand. In the days of Moses, water flowed from a rock. But for David, when he wrote this psalm, It wasn't just a nice idea, a nice image. There is a note here of desperation. Uh, Look in verse one. There are, there are three, one and two. There are three different Hebrew words. Verse one, he says, I call. In verse two, he speaks of my please. And verse two again, he says, I cry. I call. I plead. I cry to the rock. So David is calling here to God in the midst of troubles. Uh, There is in verse 1 a pit, the pit, he doesn't want to go in. And in verse 3, there are the wicked, the workers of evil, who have evil in their hearts, and they, it seems, are all around him. And in the midst of this, he cries to God, the rock. As Psalm 61 puts it, the rock that is higher than I. Have you never felt you need a rock? And you need a rock that is higher than you. And there he is, this morning, towering above us all. The Lord is the rock. There's a famous photograph taken in 1940 during the Blitz in London. And in the midst of the smoke and the flames and the destruction, there is uh, St. Paul's Cathedral. And it's towering up, untouched. And that's how it is with God this morning. In our times, in the midst of all the advances of evil and lies and confusion in our society, in the midst of our own struggles, uh, the virus, uh, illness, bereavement, work pressures, School life, criticisms, difficulties. Your God is a rock. But he's more than that. Do you see there that in verse 1, uh, David does not call him a rock. He calls him my rock. There's a difference, isn't there? See, this isn't just truth about God. Here is experience of God. And this psalm will remain a closed book to us. It will be like a house with a locked door when you haven't got the key. 
unless we come as David does with a heart crying out to the Lord, my rock. I wonder if in your heart there is this morning some sense of crying out to the Lord. Well, the Lord responds to that. Now, here in this psalm, we have three things particularly to think about. The first is the prayer of verses 1 to 5. The second is the praise of verses 6 to 7. And the confidence, finally, of verses 8 to 9. So there is prayer, firstly, for his own desperate need. And in particular, first, for God himself. It's not a sort of of matter-of-fact sort of prayer, is it? It's an urgent prayer. Call, plead, cry. And he needs God, did you notice, to do two things in verse 1. He needs God to hear him. Be not deaf to me. Now, as I grow older, I'm getting a little deafer. And sometimes my wife says something or somebody else says something and I don't hear. Uh, Well, you know, it would be a disaster if we talked to God and he didn't really hear. God actually hears everything. But what does he mean? Uh, Do not be deaf to me. Well, he doesn't receive every voice. Um, He knows the words that are just empty or formal or insincere. And David pleads for the Lord not only to hear him, but to speak to him. You see, he says there, if you be silent to me. So he's not just wanting God to hear. He's looking for some response. If you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. You see, when you pray to God, it's not like speaking to an answer phone. Personally, I really don't like answer phones because they're not people. In other words, there's no one there actually to respond. I know they're useful and eventually they, you hope they respond. But actually at the time, there is no person to respond. You see, what David longs for is a God who's not just there, but who responds to him. That's what we all need. A God who responds, a God who communicates. We need to hear his voice In his word this morning, we need the conviction in our heart as we hear preaching. Uh, We need the work of the Holy Spirit within us to assure us, uh, to draw us to Jesus, to convict us of sin and need, to humble us, to change us. We need God not just being there, but responding to to us. Now, I don't think when when David praise these things, he doubts if God will hear him. He's already called God my rock. I think the point is that he understands something very important, that it is that absolutely everything depends on God hearing and responding. Uh, He will go down to the pit if God will not receive him. And if God doesn't hear and respond to us, we will go to hell. That's the truth. You see, your relationship with God is not just a bit of extra to add some spice to your life. Your relationship with God is life itself. Just at the moment, a lot of people uh, seem to think that football is life. Well, it's quite a lot of fun when you win, not nearly so much when you lose. But It's not life, is it? It's not life. Your life 
is in your relationship with God. So he pleads for God himself. He also pleads for mercy from God. You see that in verse 2. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. What do you need most? What do you need most? Maybe you have a short list. What do you need most? A good night's sleep. A job. Money. A relationship. I, I don't know. You know, you can have all those things and go to the pit. You know what you need most? Mercy. There's nothing you need like mercy. Grace undeserved. In verse 2, the, the phrase, my pleas for mercy, in Hebrew is just one word. My pleas for mercy for me. You know, when I draw money out of my bank account, it's there because I put it in in the first place. Uh, I've earned it. I have some right to it. But, you know, when we come to God, we have no account in, in the black there. I have no credit in my account. Uh, the only grounds I have before God is, is mercy. And David knows that. And that second phrase, when I cry to you for help, is another single Hebrew word, which is literally, shout for help me. Shout for help me. It's the cry of the drowning man. It's the voice making the 999 call. Shout for help me. And you know, God reads the heart that is in earnest with him, in earnest with God this morning. And, and David knows where to look, doesn't he, in verse 2. When I lift my hands, which is the Jewish posture of prayer, toward your most holy sanctuary. That is, towards the holy of holies. That, that, the particular Hebrew word there is used in 1 Kings 16 of the holy of holies when it was first built in the temple. It's where the ark was. It's where the mercy seat was. It's where the blood of sacrifice was brought once a year by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. David looked to a sanctuary in Jerusalem. But the sanctuary in Jerusalem, which is no longer there, was just a picture of a true sanctuary, which is there. The Holy of Holies in glory, where we look, where there is a lamb looking as if it has been slain, seated on the throne of heaven. You see, what Psalm 28 is doing is it's speaking to us of a holy God who receives unworthy people who are in earnest with God because there is a sacrifice made for them. And that is what Jesus fulfilled at Calvary on our behalf. You see, I desperately need the same things as David. I need this morning, you need this morning, God himself and his mercy. And so does everyone on the planet. Secondly, he prays, not only for his own desperate need, but for the world's desperate need. Verse 3, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due Reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. What, what is 
this. We may identify much more readily with what we've already read than with verses 3 to 5. It's a prayer for justice in our society and in our world. God's just rule. Uh, I imagine that you pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you ever thought what that will mean? What will that mean? What will it take for God's will to be perfectly done on earth? It will require God's drastic intervention. And and that's what David's praying for. Because, you see, he speaks here in verses 3 to 4 of the wicked, the workers of evil, who speak peace, literally speak shalom in their hearts, while shalom with their lips, while evil is in their hearts, and their deeds are evil. Did he have Saul in mind, who could speak well of David and then try to kill him? Or maybe Absalom, and Absalom's rebellion when some closest to him betrayed him? Uh, What is it going on with these people? Well, verses 4 and 5, there's a contrast between their work, the work of their hands, and the Lord's work, and the work of his hands. And they're very into their work, but, verse 5, they do not regard the works of the Lord. They're taken up with themselves, and they live in God's world, and they have no regard for God himself. They get on with life as if God were not there. And and that attitude is all around us. And it doesn't shock us. It is shocking, but it doesn't shock us because it's so normal. Evolution, they think, erases the creator. And the works of his hands, God's hands, are attributed to mere chance. As if. As if. This whole creation is here by chance. Is there any more ridiculous notion that has gained credence in our world than that one? As if. God's work in salvation means nothing to them. And his work in judgment is is quite unacceptable. They can get quite upset about that. And how God has made us, male and female, and designed marriage for us, and told us how to live, is entirely binned. And what does David plead for in verses 4 and 5? Give to them according to their work. And, and look at that according word. It comes three times. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Now, he's, this isn't a call for personal vengeance. He's asking for God to do this, not himself. It's not wild and disproportionate. In fact, one of his points is it's according to what they have done. Now, we live fairly comfortably in a land with a long tradition of freedom of speech and religious liberty and rule of law. And this talk of the wicked can seem a bit extreme. Really? Do you not know any history? Stalin killed, according to reputable historians, something between 20 to 60 million people. Imagine having a latitude of 40. Could be one way or the other. That's evil. That's evil. Hitler destroyed 6 million Jews and was responsible almost single-handed for World War II, in which around 70 million people died. In the 1970s, something like 2 million Cambodians 
died at the hands of Pol Pot's regime. This morning, there are 120,000 people in North Korean concentration camps, of whom at least 70,000 are there simply because they're Christians. 70,000. On Sunday, the 7th of March, Sunday a bit like this, possibly a little cooler, an Islamic group surrounded a church meeting in Western Ethiopia. They shot the two pastors dead on the spot. They took the 22 other people attending them, the meeting into the forest and executed everyone. Wicked. But it's not just brutal dictators and murderers. There are people making a mint of money out of pornography, out of drugs, out of gambling. And there are legislatures that meet in beautiful buildings that think it's fine to put to death the unborn on an industrial scale. So that the majority of deaths in the world last year were the unborn. What is that? That is wicked. And as our society slides away from God, we will be touched by more and more wickedness. What should we do? We should pray to God for justice. We need to pray the second part of David's prayer as well as the first part. But some Christians feel a bit uncomfortable with this. Surely we know better from the New Testament. No, we don't. When Jesus suffered at the hands of wicked men, 1 Peter 2, 23, he did not threaten, but in, was in continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It's where Jesus was looking on his, at his trial and at his execution. To him who judges justly. 2 Thessalonians 3, 2, Paul asks for prayer that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. 2 Timothy 4, this last letter, he refers to a man called Alexander, the metal worker, who did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Jesus says in Luke 7, 18, 7, Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. And Matthew 16, 27, Jesus says the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done, which is exactly what David prayed for. You see, David has great confidence. Justice is coming to our world. It is, in fact, the hope of our planet. Verse 3, God will drag off the wicked. Verse 5, he will tear them down and build them up no more. And heaven is only possible because God is going to deal with evil. And he will bring justice on the earth. We need to pray for God's justice. It's a key part of our world's desperate need. He prays for his own desperate need. He prays for the world's desperate need. And then he praises God, verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, for he's heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults. It's a wonderful change of gear from petition to praise. God's responded to him, you see. And look first at the focus of his praise. Will you notice here, 
When he praises God in verses 6 to 7, he tells us absolutely nothing specifically about what God actually had done. What does he tell us about? Well, he tells us how wonderful God is. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Uh, and look in verse 7. Uh, my, in him my heart trusts. And at the end, I give my thanks to him. He wants to tell us about him. You see, it, it's not what we get, but who we have. When we pray, are we, are we very taken up with what we're asking for or with who we need? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask for things, but I am saying what we need fundamentally is not the things we ask for, it's the person we pray to. See, David doesn't say, I've got it. It's so wonderful. No, what he says is, I've got him. (laughs) And he's so wonderful. That's a very different proposition. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't give us things. Indeed, he does. He gives us all things richly to enjoy, Paul wrote. Uh, But what matters is having him. Maybe you need to focus in your praying and praising on him. And look at the heart of his experience in the middle of verse 7. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. I think that's wonderful. I think it's also very profound. You see, he doesn't say, now I got what I asked for and so I am helped. No, he says he trusts in him, and so he is helped. You want to be helped, you can be helped right now by trusting in him. You're helped when you trust in God, even when you don't have what you just asked for. Yet, or maybe ever. It's the secret of being content when you put your trust in your God. I wonder if you ever pray for Christians in prison. Now, there are rather a lot in North Korea you might pray for, and there are thousands of others across the world. I wonder how you'd pray for them. Lord, set them free. Well, indeed. But, you know, God doesn't always set free those who are imprisoned in his name. Do you remember the leaders, maybe, we don't personally, but the leaders of the pre-communist church in China, people like Watchman Nee, they disappeared into prison for the rest of their natural lives. Chinese regime has just celebrated all its achievements. There are things it did not choose to mention. Now, how would you pray for Watchmani? How would you have prayed? How do you pray for people in North Korea? Surely we, should, we can pray, Lord, may they trust in you and be helped right now. That's what they need. But you can't read verse 7 without a sense of David's exuberance. In him my heart trusts and I'm helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. He wants to sing. And when you notice the domino effect, you know, when you line up dominoes, maybe you, you, your children do that and you're not the first one, the next one, the next one goes down all the way along. Well, there's a domino effect here. Uh, he trusts, n- n- look at it, look at it in the middle of verse 7. My heart trusts and I am helped and my heart rejoices, exults. That there's a domino effect. Now, of course, if, if he didn't trust, he wouldn't rejoice. You see the connection. If you don't knock down the first domino, you don't get all the dominoes falling down. I wonder if there's something this morning. You're, you're in church and you, you're entering in, and, but you're actually simply not trusting God over something this morning? I wonder. 
you know, it's a joyless thing, not trusting. You ever notice that? It it doesn't make your heart exult when you don't trust God. Can you ever imagine saying to yourself, well, I'm so glad I didn't trust God. Isn't that a foolish thing even to suggest? No, my goodness, what a joyless thing it is when we're not trusting. You see, but what a joyful thing it is when we are trusting. When we're trust and our hearts are helped, then we sing his praises. And will you notice that singing matters? With my song, I give thanks to him. I'm not sure our government wholly takes this in. But singing actually matters. And I don't think that David had in mind humming along with masks on. Ephesians 5, 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts. It seems to me that this has been one of the most cruel deprivations in lockdown. Now, I know we've done our best, but my goodness, I want to sing, don't you? Don't you? Is that yes? You want to sing? Revelation 5, in heaven they sing. They sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And if you read Revelation 5, the the song of praise and the shouts of... flows outward. It's it's sung by the redeemed and it's sung by angels 10,000 times 10,000. Can you imagine the noise and the volume? And then it says that every creature in heaven and on earth and in the sea and everything beneath it joined in, singing, praising, when you've gazed upon the glories of what Jesus has done and taken in that he died for sinners like us so we could be in glory. When you trust him, you've got to sing his praises. Praise. Finally, confidence. Confidence, verses 8 and 9. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Now, in verse 8, David's confidence is not just that God was good to him, but that God is good to all his people. The Lord is, it's a present tense, he is the strength of his people. He is the strength of his people in North Korea, in China, in Nigeria, in Saudi Arabia. And all across our world, he is the strength here of Forest Fold. He's the only strength you've got. And he has all the strength you need today and forever. And look at the next phrase. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Now, we might have expected him to write, he is the saving, he's the strength of his people and the saving refuge of his people. But he doesn't. He says he's the saving refuge of his anointed. And in the Hebrew, the word is his Messiah. His Messiah. David who wrote the psalm, was the anointed. He represented God's people. When he went out to face King uh, to face Goliath, he went out on behalf of all Israel. And in David's victory, all Israel was blessed. As Dale Ralph Davis, the commentator, says, as goes the king, go the people. 
And that's why we're saved this morning. As go the king, goes the people, there is a Messiah greater than David, an anointed one who is the one to whom David pointed, so that the whole Old New Testament opens with the word, a book of the genealogy of Jesus, Messiah, the son of David. God the Father was a sa- is the saving refuge of his anointed And God the Father was the saving refuge of his anointed, the Lord Jesus. Not by sparing him at Calvary where he worked salvation for us through his death, but by vindicating him by his resurrection and raising him to the throne of heaven and making his cross the very center of our hope. And from the throne of the universe, he will return to complete our salvation and to rule forever and ever and bring in God's eternal justice. You see, in God's anointed, we are all blessed. That's why we have assurance as Christians. Because it's not about how I've performed. It's all about what he has done. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. And that's why the prayer of verse 9, look at it is not in vain. Oh, save your people and bless your inheritance. God has saved our anointed. He saved the Lord Jesus. He raised him from the dead. Therefore, he will save. He has saved his people. He saves us in him. It's a wonderful confidence, isn't it? And notice what it says. Save your people and bless your heritage. Your heritage, your inheritance. Do you know, you at Forest Fold... You're part of God's inheritance. It's an extraordinary thought. What God chooses to regard it as as his heritage, his inheritance. What is, is therefore what is very precious to him. And amazingly, you're it. You're it. All the people of God across the world and across history, we are his inheritance. And one day, when we see that inheritance with these eyes, we'll be blown away at what God has done. And we will see why we are so precious in his eyes, his heritage. Amazing. God is our rock, verse 1. He is our strength and shield, verse 7. But one final thought. The end, the very end of the psalm, verse 9, he's also our shepherd. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. How the Bible loves that language of the shepherd. It's there, isn't it? Famously in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's there in the New Testament in John 10. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Your God, the rock, is also your shepherd. Now, a normal shepherd leads his flock in the Middle Eastern first century times, or he drives his flock these days, or maybe sends out the sheep dogs to gather the flock. But will you notice what this shepherd does? Be their shepherd and carry them. Forever. Can you imagine that? Really? That's wild. A shepherd who carries the sheep. But you know, it's what we need. I wonder if you've ever come across a poem called Footprints. It represents the walk of a Christian alongside Jesus as if along a beach. And at times, as the Christian looks back, he 
At times, instead of two sets of footprints in the sand, at times there was only one set of footprints. And the Christian asks why, and he's told, that was when I carried you. But that's actually not quite the Bible version. At least it's not the Bible version here, is it? Be their shepherd and carry them forever. In the Bible's version, there is only ever one set of footprints. Never put me down, Lord. And he won't. And he won't. That's why our salvation is secure. In the New Testament, we find that the Lord Jesus is the rock, 1 Corinthians 10. And as we've already seen, the Lord Jesus is the the good shepherd. And the confidence of verses 8 and 9 is all fulfilled in him. He is our rock. Here's our shield. Here's our strength. Here's our, she- uh, our, our protector. And he carries us this morning and forever. What a song. What a prayer. What praise. What confidence to make our own today, this week, and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we tremble to live in your world with no regard for who you are and what you do and what you say. Lord, we ask you to forgive us when this world's way of thinking has corrupted our hearts. Lord, we long for hearts that truly trust you, that run to you, our rock, that cry out to you for your grace and help and mercy that in the midst of all the evils of this world puts confidence in God as the one who will bring justice. Oh Lord, oh come Lord Jesus, come work salvation, but come also in justice and judgment to bring evil in this world to an end. And Lord, we praise you that you hear the prayers of your people. We praise you that when we trust you, we are blessed and we rejoice. And Lord, we pray for hearts that that know that wonderful domino effect, that because we trust you, we're helped and we rejoice. We want to do that this morning. And we thank you. It's all accomplished in your anointed, our shepherd, who lifts us up and carries us now and forever. Amen.